Pint Glass Football Podcast is presented by Better Edge, giving the edge back to the betters with no fee sports betting. At betteredge.com, you, not the books, set the price of betting lines so you can make bank with no VIG or sportsbook fees. Better Edge is available in 45 states for real money sports betting. Create an account and use code PGF for $10 on your first order. Play the game without getting played at betteredge.com. Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football, where we drink beer and talk football. If you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button. What's up, PGF Nation? I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKenzie Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKenzie Brewing. Got a great show today. I'm going to give my thoughts on UCLA and USC moving to the Big Ten in the shockwaves. It is sent throughout college football. After that, I have a great guest, David Behrman, the deputy editor of sports betting at ESPN. We're going to talk NFL futures, over-under season win totals, MVP award odds, and a whole lot more. You don't want to miss it, so let's crack a cold one and kick this off. All right, guys, like I said in the intro, massive, massive news in college football last week. UCLA and USC announced they were leaving the Pac-12 for the Big Ten. I'm sure you guys have heard this news already, but I wanted to give my thoughts on this because this news dropped really not long after last week's episode. So this is my really my first chance to weigh in on it. How did we get here? Let's start with that. The Pac-12 and the ACC voted against a 12-team, six-automatic bid college football playoff proposal that would have saved the Power Five as we know it. But now it's gone for good, and quite frankly, this is going to go down as one of the worst decisions ever made by any sports commissioner. Unbelievable what's transpired because of that decision. Like I said, if they vote yes on that, you get the six automatic bids, which means the champion out of the Pac-12 and the champion out of the ACC almost certainly year in and year out would have been in the college football playoff. But for some reason, they voted against it, and it has led us down this crazy path that we're on now. As you guys know, last year, Texas and Oklahoma made the huge decision to leave the Big 12 to go to the SEC And now we see the two big L.A. schools in the Pac-12 going to the Big Ten, and it has created total chaos. This headline has completely taken over the entire sport of football. I mean, quite frankly, this is the biggest news story in all of football right now. Everybody's talking about it, and it's changed everything overnight. I mean, it's been that quick because now it's no longer the Power Five. The Power Five is dead. It's now the Big Two, SEC, and the Big Ten, and really nobody else matters. I mean, that's just the bottom line. What does it mean for the Pac-12? Let's start there. Quite frankly, this league is on life support now. The two LA schools, the biggest market easily on the West Coast, take off for the Big Ten and They're leaving a league that's already been struggling with national perception for the last several years, and this almost certainly kills the Pac-12. I don't think there's really any way 
that this league survives, maybe, and I say maybe, they scramble and try to get a couple replacement schools, San Diego State or a Boise State. Maybe they try to pull some teams from the Mountain West, but let's face it, you could add 10 of those teams and none of them combined equal what they lost in UCLA and USC. This is the type of loss that you cannot recover from. Absolutely devastating for this conference. Now, what does it mean for some of the big schools left in the Pac-12? Mainly Oregon and Washington. Those are the two schools that everyone's been talking about the most here because you've got Oregon, which has been probably the best program in this conference for the last 10 or 15 years. And you've got Washington, which isn't what they used to be, but they're in the Seattle market. So as far as that goes, they're easily the next biggest market after the LA schools. And there's been a lot of rumor and speculation that those two schools could be trying to get into the Big Ten. I saw some reports earlier this week that they have pushed to try to get access into the Big Ten. But right now, there really hasn't been anything definitive as far as if they'll be able to get into that league or not. Just a lot of speculation. Then you've got the Big 12 that comes into play with this whole story. The Big 12 clearly sees what's going on in the Pac-12 they're making a push now to try to get some of these remaining schools, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah, and some other schools have now been linked to possibly joining the Big 12. It makes sense because I think at this point, none of these schools really feel good about staying in the Pac-12 with what's left. And if Oregon and Washington leave, the league will certainly completely fall apart. I think they are the one piece to this puzzle that's kind of holding this really shaky conference now all together. And like I said, there's a ton of speculation that they're going to leave as well. Now, another huge piece to this puzzle, quite frankly, probably the biggest piece to this puzzle is Notre Dame and the rumors that they've been linked to possibly joining the Big Ten. Everyone's kind of waiting to see what their decision is going to be. And their decision is going to play a major factor in what happens next, because I think the Big Ten has to be considering schools like Oregon and Washington. There's been rumors that maybe even Stanford or possibly Cal could be in the mix as well, but they're not going to make a move until they hear from Notre Dame. That's really the coveted piece here. That's the big piece left in, in this puzzle. And Notre Dame has been a school, as we know, that's really cherished their independence for a long time. Will that change now that we've entered this era of super conferences? And I think competitively being independent, even before the super conferences, I think Notre Dame was at a disadvantage because they don't have a conference championship game to highlight themselves. And they essentially have to run the table to really be in the college football playoff mix. Playing in a league would give them a ton of stability. It would afford them to be able to lose a game or two, win a conference like the Big Ten, and still certainly be in the college football playoff discussion. So I think there's more pressure than ever for Notre Dame to finally buck its independence and jump onto a conference like the Big Ten. Now, they are already tied somewhat to the ACC. They play five ACC games a year, and there is some contractual things going on there. I'm not going to dive into all that, but I think it's safe to say 
that if they were going to leave and join a conference, I think the speculation is that it's going to be the Big Ten. I know that the Big Ten wants Notre Dame. I think that much is obvious. There's been tons of reports about that. Will Notre Dame leave? If they leave, when will it happen? All huge question marks right now. The Big Ten is now, quite frankly, a legit rival to the SEC. It becomes a true coast-to-coast conference. Fox in this upcoming TV deal really drove this deal home for the UCLA and USC schools who now will be reportedly making $100 million a year in the Big Ten. And quite frankly, you just can't turn down that kind of money. They're going to play better competition in more TV markets and get more exposure. And quite frankly, that's something that has really hurt the Pac-12 with these late kickoffs, this Pac-12 after dark nonsense they've been doing for years now. Nobody sees those games on the East Coast. And quite frankly, it's just hurt the brand and the reputation of the Pac-12 for years because when Midwest and East Coast viewers don't see your games, it's hard to get respect. The next big question I have, though, is does the SEC respond to this move by the Big Ten? Now, there's been reports that Miami, Florida State, and Clemson, and even maybe North Carolina could be schools in the mix as far as the SEC wanting to expand. I think those schools make the most sense. But here's the problem. The current ACC TV deal makes it expensive and complicated. They're locked into a contract, I believe, until 2036. So it's not that you can't break that contract, but like I said, it's going to be really messy. So it'll be interesting to see if the SEC gets really aggressive, A quite frankly, a conference that is known for being aggressive. Will they get aggressive and try to expand into that territory and take some of those ACC schools, some of those historically relevant college football programs? But if the TV contract and whatnot, if that gets too messy and too expensive, which it could, does the SEC actually do the unthinkable and go west so that they too can have a coast-to-coast footprint in college football and go grab some of the best teams left in the Pac-12 like U of O, like Washington, maybe Utah? It would be fascinating. I don't think it's likely, but it could possibly happen. The other thing that's interesting about this is Phil Knight. When you look at Oregon, like I said, they're the biggest piece left here in the Pac-12 now. It's hard to think that someone is not going to want them like a Big Ten or an SEC when you could add a brand like Oregon, a team that has been very competitive for a long time. And with Phil Knight really pushing the charge here, I have a hard time thinking that a guy like him is going to stand by and let his beloved alma mater fall to the wayside and become an irrelevant brand in college football because they're trapped in an inferior conference. And at this point, which league survives? I think that's another big question right now. There's been talks this week of the Pac-12 and ACC coming up with some sort of alliance here. There's also been talks of a full-blown Big 12, Pac-12 merger where they try to create their own super conference, so to speak. I think all this stuff is on the table right now. I wouldn't put any of these stories past the realm of reality. It's just going to be absolutely fascinating to see what plays out in the next several weeks, months, or even into next year. The story of college football realignment, like I said, it's really taken over the football news media. And right now, there's just more questions than answers. 
But of course, we'll be right here to cover it as it happens. This is a story that we're going to be following, of course, throughout the summer and into the season. Guys, be sure to follow me on Twitter at PGF Podcast. I'm always posting up-to-date news, articles, and opinions from some of the best minds in college football and, of course, the NFL, because I can't always jump on the podcast and give you guys my thoughts. So a lot of times, social media is a great place to get some of your daily information from me and others as far as the football media world's concerned. So be sure to follow me there. But had to get my thoughts in on this. Had to let you guys know what I was thinking because this story has just been totally crazy. But we're going to shift gears here, guys. Like I said in the intro, I've got a great interview coming up, so stick around for that. Excited to be joined by David Behrman, who's the deputy editor of sports betting at ESPN. Most of his work can be found on ESPN.com slash chalk and ESPN's daily wager. David, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Happy to be here and happy to be talking uh, sports betting. Yeah, it's a slow time of the year, but never too early to start looking at some of those future bets on the NFL. I know a lot of people, myself included, love to look at these odds early and see where we can find value. Now, most books have the Bills as the Super Bowl favorites. What do you make of the Bills being the favorites after they failed to reach the AFC Championship last year? I know they're loaded. They've got a great roster, a great quarterback. It just seems like they're a pretty heavy favorite. What are your thoughts on that? I think top to bottom, if you evaluate the rosters, coaching, depth, I think the Bills and the defending Super Bowl champion LA Rams are the two top teams in terms of like the entire package, offense, defense, coaching, intangibles, et cetera. And yeah, I know the Bills fell shy of even making an AFC title game, but you're also talking about an AFC divisional round game versus the Chiefs that will go down in NFL history as one of the top 10 playoff games of all time. And quite simply, the Bills could have won the Super Bowl if it wasn't for a coin flip. And I know that went into some some big changes to the NFL overtime rules and, and, and whatnot. But that's how good the Bills were last year. As a Dolphins fan, I've I've had the the suffering of seeing it up close and personal with how good they are. And uh, I, I love McDermott. I think he's a great coach. Uh, he's solid. The whole front office is. And with Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs there, and the offense they run, Defense is solid. I really think the only weakness has and always will be the running back position, but it's not a team that relies on the run. And, and, and you know, the this 21st century NFL that, that has passing ruling the ruling the roost, I think the Bills are the best team in the AFC, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them finally make through and, and, and go to the Super Bowl for the first time in 25 years. And, you know, it's hard for me to say that as the Dolphins fan, but that is a very, very good team. And and really, the only thing they have going against them is they're in a ridiculously hard conference. You compare it to the NFC, which is going to be Tampa, L.A., Green Bay, and you know Dallas strong over there. But the AFC is loaded top to bottom. You, you, you can you can make an argument for twelve of the sixteen teams making the playoffs, and you know the Bills are going to have to play twelve of their seventeen games against the AFC, and it's going to be a tough road for them, tough division, tough conference. But at the end of the day, I expect to see them uh, at the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I like what you said about Sean McDermott, too. I think he's a guy that maybe gets a little bit overlooked in this whole equation because he is a great coach. And as far as the running back position, they did address it in the draft. So maybe that's a position that gets a little boost this year. I know they made a splashy move and got Von Miller as well to that defense. So it's definitely a team that could be coming back even stronger this year. And I can definitely see why they're the favorite, certainly. Now, once we get past Buffalo, you mentioned the Bucks followed by the Chiefs. 
Packers in that plus 1100 range, but then you've got the defending champs, the Rams at plus 1100 at the sites I'm looking at here, AFC West Chargers and Broncos, both in that uh, plus 1600 range. Where do you see a lot of value? Who are some teams maybe in that second tier or even that third tier that you think could still possibly win the Super Bowl and pay off big for betters? Sure. I'm, I'm to begin with. I'm surprised the Rams are, are are eleven to one. That that's you know a loaded team. They didn't win the Super Bowl by accident last year. Uh, they're bringing everybody back. I think it's a little bit of a lack of respect that they're eleven to one, but they're sort of in that first tier. I know you asked about the second tier. I look at the Baltimore Ravens, twenty-two to one. I think is kind of long for them. Another great head coach and stability, and John Harbaugh. You know, Lamar Jackson, assuming he doesn't have any contract holdouts and comes back healthy. Uh, he's as good as they get in, in terms of leading that offense. And I think 22 to one is, is longer than it should be. And the fact that, yeah, that division isn't getting any weaker. I mean, Cincinnati Bengals are the defending AFC champs. The Cleveland Browns may or may not have Deshaun Watson, but they're a good team. Steelers probably take a step back without Ben Roethlisberger, or any real quarterback there that, that you can count on. Uh, I just think the Ravens are a lot better than people think they are. They got always will have a strong defense, will always be good in special teams, good coach. And as long, long as Lamar Jackson is healthy, like that, that's really not a team I want to face in the playoffs. And you're not talking about six to one with the bills or 10 to one with the chiefs. You're talking 22 to one. And they are priced the same as the Bengals, probably right. Considering the Bengals won the division last year, but I look at the the overall picture and I, I think the, 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 the Baltimore Ravens are a team that, I probably would have put in the 19 to 20 to one range and you can get them at 22, 23 to one, depending on where you shop. Yeah. I really like that take because I'm with you. I think people are sleeping on this Baltimore team. You hit on it. This is a team that's still really loaded. They had so many injuries last year. So many key players were out for large chunks of the year and they were still very competitive just because of the stability of the franchise, the great head coach, like you mentioned, and then throw in, a infusion of young talent. I thought they had an outstanding draft. So you're going to have a lot of returning starters back, a lot of new faces. I think Baltimore is a sneaky Super Bowl dark horse. So I love that pick for sure. And I think I, there's great value. I think there's one other thing to remember is they lost their two top running backs last year before the season even started. And you never know how they're going to come back healthy or not. But J.K. Dobbins has not played one NFL down. And he was touted as, you know, a potential all-pro running back coming out of college and, and you're just adding that to the offense that was already good to begin with yeah that's a great point especially a team that really leans on the run as well to get guys like him back is going to be huge for this team I, that's a great point now I want to look to ahead to week one here some great matchups to kick off the season there's some lines that stood out to me the Giants plus six and a half at Tennessee, I thought was interesting. Saints uh, are a four point favorite. It looks like on the road in Atlanta, 49ers six point favorites on the road as well in Chicago. Lots of interesting lines, a lot of different ones we could look at here. But what are some lines in these games that really stand out to you? Well, there was a couple that stood out, and I'll start with the fact that I think the Atlanta Falcons are going to be a whole lot worse than people think they're going to be. They pretty much gutted their entire offense. There's no Julio Jones. There's no Matt Ryan. Calvin Ridley is going to be serving his suspension. Uh, the team wasn't that great to begin with, and, and and now they're missing pretty much everybody. And they're only 
getting four and a half at home versus the Saints team that should be, you know, pretty average to above average. It was a team that was right there fighting for a playoff spot last year. And I think the Saints in a weaker conference can still, I don't think they're going to win the division because you have Tom Brady and the Bucks there. And just a right of patches that Tom Brady has to win the division when he plays. So I think the Saints only laying four and a half right now. And that's a game where like, it's, you know, it's on the road. Saints aren't necessarily the most dominant road team, but they're good. And, you know, you have a Falcons team that I think is, is dreadful. So I would lay the four and a half there and, and taking all bias aside, I, I like the Dolphins laying only three versus the New England Patriots. You know, you say what you want about both those teams, but last year the Dolphins won both matchups versus the Patriots and, and Tua beat Mac Jones both times. Uh, the Dolphins play very, very well at home in September in the heat and they'll make the Patriots wear their dark unis. And I think three is, is a good price there to lay against the Patriots. Yeah, I like that pick a lot because I think the Patriots might be a little inflated coming into this season. This is a team that lost some key coordinators, most notably Josh McDaniels, longtime offensive coordinator. I don't know if people are accounting for how big of a loss that's going to be for this offense. They lost some key players on the roster. I thought they had a really shaky draft, and I'm putting that kindly. I just don't like a lot of the moves they've made in this offseason. It doesn't feel like this is a team that took a step forward. Meanwhile, the Dolphins, like you said, go out and get Tyree Kill. I thought they've added some nice playmakers, some nice pieces to this team. So I like that. And especially, like you said, this is a team that also has played the Patriots pretty competitively in recent years. So I think there's great value there as well. I think that's a sneaky good play. And the, the, the Patriots are a fascinating team because you either love them or hate them. And I'm not just talking from a fan point of view. I'm talking betting-wise. When we did our Daily Wager and ESPN Chalk Sports Betting Futures Week two weeks ago where we did win totals, we did League Leaders Awards, and, and, and we talked about all the teams, we had one anchor on set, Doug Kazarian, who thinks Patriots, the no on playoffs is his favorite bet on the board, betting the no, because like you said, the Patriots are a little bit elevated more than they should be. And then you had others saying Patriots over eight and a half was a lock. So you either love them or you hate them from the betting world. I agree with you. Losing McDaniels is going to hurt. I think just seeing what I've seen, I think Mac Jones is extremely overrated. He's not getting the same, you know, treatment that Tua has been getting whenever Tua loses a game or makes a bad throw. Uh, the Dolphins have gotten better, and, and like I said, they usually get off the good starts down there. So I think when we were putting together our, our schedule release show, we were playing a little guess the line game once we had week one, and I had that in the four, four and a half range. was surprised to see it at three, and the way the betting public bets, don't be surprised when the Patriots are, are you know only only getting one or two by the time the game kicks off. Yeah, it's probably a great point. And then you're getting tremendous value. So that's definitely a line to keep an eye on there. Now, like we covered earlier, the Bills are the Super Bowl favorites. And quarterback Josh Allen is the MVP favorite. He's followed by Mahomes, Rodgers, Brady, and Justin Herbert to round out the top five. The next tier is interesting with Joe Burrow, Wilson, and Stafford all getting in that plus 1,200 odds or better range. Now, from a betting standpoint, who are some guys that you would want to bet? And is there a long shot MVP that you like this year? From off the top, it, it, you know, you look at some of the shorter players, obviously, you know, Josh Allen, who's right there last year and at seven to one, that's not the worst price in the world. Uh, it's hard to bet Aaron Rodgers because of voter fatigue and maybe he goes out and earns it for a third straight year. But it's, we were saying last year, he may not get it because of voter fatigue and all the off field stuff, but you know, I, I was kind of going back to what we started with, with I thought the Rams and the Ravens were undervalued in, in Super Bowl odds. Say the same thing for Stafford and Lamar Jackson. You know, Matt Stafford, 
at 15 to one being the QB one of the defending Super Bowl champions, who I think are going to roll it back this year. If they go ahead and get the number one or number two seed, there's no reason to believe that he couldn't be an MVP at 15 to one. And we just talked about Lamar Jackson and, and how much I think the Ravens will be good this year. He's 20 to one. Give you a little bit of a longer shot. Someone that I've been looking at that I've actually already played. And yes, the AFC West is stacked quarterbacks, top to bottom teams, top to bottom. But I think Derek Carr at 28 to one is, is a good price because let's say that the, the Raiders do win the division or, or make a wild card it's entirely possible the Chiefs lost Tyreek Hill and you don't know how good they're going to be. Do you believe Russell Wilson's going to turn the Broncos into a Super Bowl champion overnight? And the Chargers are always that team that is always close, but not close enough. And playing Herbert at 10 to 1 isn't much value. So I look at that division and I mean, it's what playing long shots is all about. I'm not saying Derek Carr and the Raiders are going to win the division. I wouldn't bet them to win the division. But if the Raiders come out and win arguably one of the best divisions we've ever seen, 28 to 1 is a pretty good price on him again. I'm not saying he's going to win it, but I think if you're looking to find a buy, you're always going to look at a quarterback because running backs don't win this award. Derrick Henry can run for 3,000 yards and he's not going to win the MVP award. It's just not the way it works. It's going to go to a quarterback and it's likely going to go to a quarterback on a team that is either a top two seed or wins their division. And if there's not much value in betting Allen, Brady, Mahomes, and Rodgers, I think Burrow and Herbert are too low to bet. Why not take a stab at 28 to 1? And, and who knows? All it takes is maybe Mahomes doesn't play well without Tyreek Hill there. Maybe Russell Wilson can't turn the Broncos around. And, you know, if the Chargers aren't the team we always think they can be, why not the Raiders? Why not Derek Carr at 28 to 1? Yeah, I like that. I like some of the takes that you had there, too, because Aaron Rodgers is a guy that I'm surprised is still up as high as he is on this list. After losing Devontae Adams, I think that's a significant loss. I know he's got some young receivers they brought in, but to replace arguably the best wide receiver in the game is not going to be an easy thing to do. So I think he could be a little inflated. I love what you said about Lamar Jackson and Stafford. Those are two guys that I think there's great value there. We talked about the Ravens just a minute ago. This is a team that I think could surprise some people and have a good year and or possibly another great year for him and a guy who's already been the MVP so we know he can play at that type of level Stafford coming off of a great year Derek Carr is a great long shot pick I'm totally with you because we just talked about losing Devontae Adams Derek Carr gains Devontae Adams and I think it's easy to say that this is could be a career year for him with the weapons he has there now with Waller and with Hunter Renfro as well they're going to have some pieces on that offense, and I think he could put up some big numbers. And this is a team made the playoffs last year and could maybe make some noise this year, even in that loaded division. I, I like that long shot bet. Yeah, and I think if they do make a run, and that, that's what long shots are all about. Like, yeah, anybody can put money on Allen, Brady, Mahomes, Rodgers. You know, those are the easy ones, and you can make an argument for every single one, but you're not going to be able to get 28 to 1 odds halfway through the season if the Raiders are 6 and 2 and on top of that division. So, strike now while everybody is 0 and 0. And he, he's, he's sitting there in the middle of, of a couple of different levels here because you have. All the 20 to ones or less, which includes the Sean Watson, which you should never put money on at this point. And after Derek Carr, you're getting into the 40 to 50 to, 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 to the running back range. Matt Ryan, 40 to one, new team, Colts, eh, Kirk Cousins. I, I wouldn't, 50 to one's a good price, but I wouldn't waste any money on Kirk Cousins ever. If Green Bay does take a step back without Devontae Adams, maybe Minnesota can win that division. I, I went on pods last year and said Green Bay to win the division at minus 155 was my lock of the century last year. And it 
It was money that was clinched by week 14. So I'm not going to have much faith in Minnesota. Uh, and then afterwards, you, you you get into running back land, and, and you also get into you know second and third-year quarterbacks. Trey Lance, Tua, Mac Jones are all in the 50 to 60 range. And yeah, if any of those three quarterbacks, young quarterbacks, take their team to the promised land, sure, it could happen. But does anybody believe me? I'd like to believe that, you know, Tua can lead the Dolphins to a division title and he'd automatically be <laughs> MVP. He has the the accuracy to get it done, but he's not going to throw for 50 touchdowns. And, and you know, after that, it's almost a waste of money throwing out 60, 70 to ones because it just doesn't happen in the NFL. Pint Glass Football Podcast is presented by Better Edge, bringing the edge back to the betters with no fee sports betting at betteredge.com. You, not the books, set the price of betting lines so you can make bank. Better Edge is available in 45 states for real money sports betting. Play the game without getting played at BetterEdge.com. Now, I want to look at the over-under season win totals here. No surprise, once again, the Bills, Bucks, Packers are all projected at that 11 wins or better range. There's a large group of teams in that 10-win category. The Saints at 8 wins, to me, seems a little generous The Giants at seven wins is a little bit surprising, but there's a lot of buzz about the Jets at five and a half and people taking the over. What are your thoughts on the win totals and what are some bets that you like? I will tell people that if they really, really love the Jets five and a half, you can shoot me a DM. I'll love to take it on the side. Don't waste your time at the sports books. I'll I'll take it for you. Um, That might get expensive after a while. The two win totals that, that I've been looking at and some of my colleagues have written up in our things, and I'm going to start with the team we've talked about a bunch, is the Kansas City Chiefs. They, they're over-unders at 10.5, and, and, and I'll preface it by saying if you were to tell me that that Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes go ahead and win 11, 12 games, I'm going to be like, yeah, of course, that, that's what they do. But look at the schedule. They've lost Tyreek Hill. As a first-place team, they're facing – First of all, they're facing the AFC West. I'm sorry, the NFC West, which obviously includes the Cardinals, the defending champion Rams, a really good 49ers team. They also play the Buccaneers as their extra game. Nice little trip to, to playing Tom Brady and the Bucks as their extra game. They're in the division, which is arguably the best division you've seen with the Raiders improved, the, the Broncos with Russell Wilson, and the Chargers with Justin Herbert. Their other AFC games, not counting the division they play, they get to play Colts and the Bills. That's 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 a tough schedule. You also have the Titans, the Rams, and the Bengals on that schedule. So think about it. Cardinals, Chargers twice, Colts, Bucks, Raiders twice, Bills, Niners, Bengals, Rams, Titans. That's 11 games that they're going to be a three-point favorite or less if not an underdog. And you only got to get seven losses on this to cash the under at 10 and seven. I think it's doable. You're getting plus money on it again. You're betting against the Kansas City Chiefs. They could go 12 and 5 and not even bat an eye. They were 3 and 4 last year heading into week 8 before they ripped off eight straight wins. And then you're not even counting the fact that they could have something wrapped up and not even care about the last game. That is a very tough schedule for a team that is going to be losing their number one weapon from last year. So the Chiefs under is something that I'm taking a look at. Boy, that's that's a great pick there because when you just went through that schedule, I'm I'm sitting there thinking, going through the list of those teams, and like you said, they already play in that loaded division, but some of those non-division games are really tough as well. Losing Tyreek Hill, that's definitely a game changer. I know they tried to replace him with more quantity than quality, so to speak, but he's a tough guy to replace. I think people are underestimating 
what he does as far as opening up all those underneath easy throws, all the over the middle stuff for Travis Kelsey, that stuff's not going to be so easy this year for Patrick Mahomes and this team because you don't have the cheetah and that deep threat anymore that's just keeping those safeties out of the box, keeping those guys back. So it's going to be a different look offense for them, and I think it is a really, really tough schedule. So I'm with you there. I like the under as well. Now, as great as the head coach is, as great as the quarterback is, who knows? Maybe they hit that over, but I'd be shocked. I, I think that's a great pick by you. It's just one of those that they're normally 11, 11 and a half. So I think it is built in that they're down to 10 and a half that they lost Hill. It's just that when I'm picking over unders, especially this early in June, July, and they haven't even taken camp yet, you only have so many things you can look at. One of them is the schedule and one of them is the offseason. Well, the Chiefs have a schedule that's beyond hard, and in reality, they lost the offseason, losing their top weapon. So I look at those two things combined, and I lean towards the under, not saying I don't like the Chiefs. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Pat Mahomes in his fifth consecutive AFC title game. That wouldn't surprise me. But with the schedule and missing some weapons, they might take a little bit of a step back. You're facing you know, a very tough division, six games. You're facing four really hard games and out in the out in the NFC West and then you're getting you're getting the Bucks and the Bills just because that's the way the schedule lined up. On the flip side of things, there's a team that I don't love, but I love their over and that's the Philadelphia Eagles for the exact opposite reasons that I didn't like the Chiefs. When I went ahead and looked at the Eagles schedule during our schedule release show, I was putting the the odds to it based on what Caesars was giving us. That's our official odds provider. And it was favored, 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 favored. They're projected, and if you want to go ahead and bet all 17 games right now, they're favored in 14 of 17. Very easy schedule, very easy division. They got some weapons out there. They traded for A.J. Brown. I'm not a believer in Jalen Hurts, but in a weak division, in a weak schedule, they improved their offensive line. They were one of the best ones last year, adding a good receiver in A.J. Brown. They got a couple of good running backs. If Jalen Hurts can just keep the team treading water and not lose games, shouldn't be too hard to win 10 games with the schedule they have. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I'm really kind of torn on the Eagles. I, I'm definitely with you on the easy schedule, the weak division that's really been down for years. I'm still not sure they're as good as Dallas. I've, I've seen the commanders on a lot of sites with eight wins as their over-under win total. And the Giants at seven, those both seemed a little high to me. So I'm not really entirely sure what Vegas is trying to tell me with this division. And I really, really don't believe in Jalen Hurts. He's a guy that I've just I'm, – I'm pumping the brakes on big time. I just don't see a franchise quarterback. And a lot of people seem to think he's going to take this big step forward. Not sure about that. I also didn't love their draft. A lot of people were really hyping up some of their young talent. I, I thought that they reached on some guys. So I love the A.J. Brown acquisition, and I do think they have enough talent to certainly win some games in, with that schedule. But I'm having a tough read on the Eagles, but I don't don't dislike your take at all there by any means. I mean, it's a fair argument, and sometimes you don't have to love or hate a team to take them in the win total. And the example I'll give is nobody thought, including myself, that the Carolina Panthers were going to be any good last year. And I, I took their over simply because I looked at the beginning of their schedule. I said their first eight games were a joke, and I projected it would be five and three or six and two after the first eight games. Lo and behold, they started three and oh. 
They wound up being five and three, and they only had a they only had to get to seven wins for me to win that. I don't think the Carolina Panthers were any good, but their schedule dictated that they were going to come out of the gates hot. They wound up having a good first half of the season, and then you know you steal one or two late, and all of a sudden you have yourself an over. I think the Eagles are better than the Panthers were last year. I you know the Eagles made the playoffs even though they didn't really belong because they you know the NFL expanded the seven seven teams in each conference and both seven seeds got you know the, the doors blown off of them. But the Eagles were a playoff team playing in a weak division. I still agree with you that they're not as good as Dallas, but they don't have to be. The Eagles could, if you win nine, you get a push. And you look at that schedule, and I find it hard to believe that the Eagles wouldn't go at least nine and eight when they're projected to be favored in 13 of the 17 games. I'm going to win all 13. They're going to lose one here or there. But, you know, you open up against against the Lions and you have a whole bunch of other easy games on the schedule it's not hard to find 10 wins or at least nine to get you the push. And, and sometimes that's what you're going for. Last year, I looked at the Arizona Cardinals and I said, their over-under was eight. I, I think they can get to nine. And, and they started seven and oh. So it was one of those things where you look at the schedule and you, you base it on, all right, what can they do? How can you get to those nine or 10 wins? And yeah, I don't like the Eagles. I don't think the Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl. I'm, you know, if they make the playoffs. I think that's where their their ceiling is. But with that schedule, their floor is pretty high, and I can see nine or ten wins. Yeah, that is a great point because you're right. The schedule plays such a big role, and and I think you're right with the weak schedule, the weak division. It certainly is a good point. I think it could happen in that regard. Now, I want to look at offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year. These are always really popular futures bets. On the offensive side, Cooper Cup and Jonathan Taylor seem to be the heavy favorites here. I'm surprised to see Christian McCaffrey and Derrick Henry behind them with the age and injury concerns of those two. Now, I've seen George Kittle right behind them. That's an interesting one to me. Now, do you lean favorites here, or do you see some names with more value down the board? I do see some value down the board. I think Christian McCaffrey coming off an injury at 16 to one, it's not a number you'd normally see with one of the best running backs in football. If he's healthy, you know, Devonte Adams with a new quarterback in that division, if he has another great year, 14 to one, isn't bad. I wouldn't play Cooper cup because he's not going to repeat what he did last year as, as historic as it was. And, and you need him to do that at eight to one. I think the number is way too short on Jonathan Taylor, especially with a better quarterback now. He may not get as many touches. 18-1 to on Josh Allen's not the worst price in the world. The guy is the favorite to win the MVP. Why couldn't he win both? Go back to Lamar Jackson again, 25-1, to sitting there on the board about the same as his MVP odds. So it's a little bit of a tricky award because MVP and Offensive Player of the Year are kind of different. But to me, they're the same. They can both be won, but... You know, Travis Kelsey at 30 to one's not a horrible play when there's no tra- no no Tyreek Hill. Someone's got to catch the ball from Mahomes. Uh, he's already good, but, you know, I, I still lean quarterback here, but it is the one award that doesn't automatically go to a quarterback like the MVP. So, yeah, I mean, I, I could see McCaffrey at 16 to one with a bounce back season, although you might as well just give him comeback player of the year award before the season starts. But, the, you know, it, it, it's a lot more difficult to handicap because it brings everybody into play as opposed to the MVP, which goes to a quarterback on a top two seed every single year. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point as well. I like what you said about Devontae Adams. That's a name that I hadn't really thought about, but being a number one target, having that familiarity, even if it was years ago with your college quarterback, I think there's going to be some some natural chemistry there. Travis Kelsey is a good pick as well, because you're right, with Tyreek gone, 
uh, I'd be surprised if Mahomes didn't lean on Kelsey even more this year and and his touches and targets went up considerably this year. So he's a guy that could ha- could be in for a monster year as well. So I think those are some great picks. Who are some uh, names for defensive player of the year that you like? Last year's winner, TJ Watt, seems to be a heavy favorite to repeat. Micah Parsons and Aaron Donald seem to be kind of distant second and third best odds. Who should we watch out for here? I mean, I think this award, it usually comes down to like three or four players every year, whether it's Donald or one of the Watts or Miles Garrett's in the mix. You know, I, I kind of like both of the Boses at 15 and 20 to one. I wouldn't be surprised to see Chase Young have another great rear at 20 to one. Uh, it's one of the awards where you don't go very far off the favorites because it's usually won by one of the top three guys every single year. You very rarely see a guy come out of nowhere to get, you know, 15 sacks or, you know, the, the one year that I thought it was going to go off the board was Xavier Howard had 10 interceptions and he didn't sniff the award as Errol Donald won it uh, again. Uh, one name, if I were to give a long shot, I really like Darius Leonard. I loved what I saw out of him last year and you're getting 35 to one on him. Uh, Rokon Smith at 40 to one. These are all really good players. And Howard, as I mentioned at 40 to one, but it just doesn't happen. I mean, Xavier Howard had 10 interceptions and couldn't even get second place in the award. So I would stick to the favorites on this one. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And it does kind of seem to be some of those top names that we see over and over again. I like what you said about the Bosa brothers, though. I think there could be some value there, especially Joey Bosa with the addition of Khalil Mack in L.A. getting so much attention there. I think he could be in for a big year with a lot more one-on-ones and getting a lot more sacks possibly this year. And we know how that can translate like we saw with TJ Watt last year. So I think there's some good value there as well, but I'm with you. It seems like the, uh, the top of that group seems to be where you want to put your money there. I mean, if you really wanted to go far down the list, you, you don't often see JJ Watt at 50 to one. He's probably a little bit too old and past his prime, but that is a hell of a number for, for a guy who's won it before. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. And uh, he was playing pretty well before the injury last year. So maybe he has a, a bounce back year. You know, if you just want to throw a long shot bet out there, it wouldn't be a bad one to throw a few bucks on for sure. Now, I was shocked, quite frankly, to see Kenny Pickett as the favorite for offensive rookie of the year. I saw Drake London after him, the wide receiver for the Falcons, followed by Traylon Burks and Jets running back Brees Hall. This was a deep rookie class where you play and your opportunities are always going to play a big factor. But what are your thoughts on offensive rookie of the year? Who are some guys you like here? Uh, I I tend to lean towards the running backs because if a running back starts, he usually keeps it. You know, Kenneth Walker, the third at 12 to one isn't a bad play. You know, the Ohio State wide receiver at 10 to one isn't a bad play. But it's so tough because you have no idea if these guys, I mean, it seemed obvious last year with Chase over in Cincinnati, but nobody knew he was going to start from the get-go. People were talking about his drops and his drop problems, and he wasn't even the highest-rated receiver. We had Kyle Pitts went before him, obviously, tight end versus wide receiver. So it's not really a market that I play, but if I did, I would lean towards a guy that is going to play, and and I would wait until – I would honestly wait until preseason was over and, and, and grab a guy that I know is going to start, like – to think that that Matt Corral is 18 to one, the guy might not even play it down this year and he's 18 to one. So you have no idea. 
Yeah, it does seem like a bit of a wild card bet. I like what you said about the running backs, though, because I think that's kind of a safe play just based on the touches. Kenneth Walker is a name that I really like that you said because he's going to a situation that's going to be a run-first team. I think they're going to lean on the run because that's what they've had success with in the past, and the lack of talent at quarterback I think is going to force them to be a run team as well. So I could see him getting a lot of volume, and that could obviously lend itself to possibly possibly a big season. So I think that was a good pick as well. Now, defensive rookie of the year odds are led by the top defensive ends from this class, Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, and Trayvon Walker. I also saw safety Kyle Hamilton is high on the list. Now, stats and exposure seem to play a role here usually. Are those defensive ends the places to bet, or are there other positions that could have better stats and end up winning it like Micah Parsons did at linebacker last year? I mean, you could go either way on it. I, I I do think Hutchinson and Thibodeau are obviously the favorites for a reason. They're going to get the stats. They're going to get the PT. That's what they were drafted as high up there. You know, Kay Walker would be a guy that I wouldn't mind playing. Jermaine Johnson, the second, is good out there on the end. The rookie of the year markets are very, very tough because you don't know who's going to play when and where. And it's not markets I play often, but I would probably stick to the favorites here. Yeah, I could certainly see that. You would think that at least one or two of these guys is going to have a good sack total, and that could always play a big factor. I love that you picked Jermaine Johnson, or at least mentioned Jermaine Johnson as well, because I think there's good value there from a betting standpoint. This is a guy that most people going into the draft thought was a top 10 talent, myself included, and then he slid way back in the draft. So I think just a really high-level talent that I don't think is really that far behind some of those other names we mentioned from a talent standpoint and could be in for a great rookie season with the Jets. So that could be one to look at as well. It has been absolutely awesome talking about some NFL futures bets here. We've once again been joined by David Behrman, who's the deputy editor of sports betting at ESPN. Once again, guys, you can find his work at ESPN.com slash chalk and ESPN's daily wager. David, thanks again for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. It was a pleasure to be on. I thought we had a very, very good discussion. And, you know, hit me up on Twitter at ESPN If anybody has any follow-ups, I'd be happy to answer the questions. And it was fun to be on and talk. Awesome. You heard it, guys. Give them a follow on Twitter. Always great stuff. Thanks again, David. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Brad. That is going to do it for today's episode presented by Better Edge. Hope you enjoyed it, PGF Nation. Hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on new episodes, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.